0: At this time of year, uh, there are so many different visits that we make. Uh, either we're headed to family members or friends' houses, or people are coming to your house. So there's all this movement around with these visitations, and uh, you don't ever want to be that, that family that shows up with nothing in your hands, so you like, bring something with you. Whether you like, We went to my parents' house last night, we made this, well, I didn't make anything for that, everyone was happy, but my wife made this gigantic lasagna and uh, trays of cinnamon rolls, and my daughter made handmade cannolis and chocolate chip cookies, my sister brought a whole bunch of stuff, my parents brought stuff, everyone's bringing something, you know, then of course you bring all the gifts and things, so like whatever it is you're bringing, you're going to these places bringing gifts, you go with something in your hands, Hopefully, whatever it is you're doing, you're you're a blessing to someone in whatever it is that you bring. When we think about God coming to us to visit with us, He brought the greatest gift that He could bring, and that's Himself. His arrival, His entering into His creation as a created one, is in fact the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And the Scriptures talk about it like this in some way, shape, and form. We're in Luke chapter 1 just for a moment. We're going to just touch on this passage. You'll recognize this. At the birth of John the Baptist, his father, Zechariah, was in the temple. And uh, having named him John as he was instructed to do, he breaks forth in this prophetic utterance. Uh, this is the scene that we see the birth of his son, but it was revealing something much better than, than John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was paving the way for the salvation that God was bringing into the world. So, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67, it says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Verse 68. For He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to the people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We're here just for a couple of concepts. First of all, John the Baptist proclaiming this message of salvation about the mercy of God and the salvation of God that arrived in a person, and to that point was going to arrive in a person, The sunrise would visit them from on high. This is the concept we want to talk about this morning is God's redeeming visit. God came to visit us to redeem us. Take a look, please, at the 8th Psalm. Psalm 8. There is no greater visitor for us to have than God Himself. And God did, in fact, visit us God has been visiting his people in various ways throughout all of his the history of scripture and the history of mankind God visited Adam and Eve in the garden and God walked with Enoch and God uh, conveyed himself in some way to Noah and demonstrated himself in some way to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac well, Isaac and Jacob uh, God demonstrates himself in 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 the the People of Israel in the place of the tabernacle and the temple. All of these, a way in which God says, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching you. I'm coming to you where you are in your brokenness and in your neediness. And there's no greater way that God has come to us than in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who was robed in human flesh. He became flesh. For us. It's an amazing reality. We're in Psalm chapter 8, and Psalm 8 presents this in a in a beautiful way, speaking about the majestic nature of God, the creative work of God, and God's care for us. Take a look, please, at Psalm eight. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God has come to us and and, and the the reality of God's coming to us in the person of Christ makes us wonder. It should make us wonder. We should be in awe and impressed that the Creator of everything and, and, and the things that you look at around you that amaze you that, that cause your heart to be filled with, with awe when you look at a sunrise and a sunset. We talk about these things regularly. When you look into the sky and see all the stars uh, darting the sky. Uh, when when uh, every, every day uh, you, you have breath uh, air to breathe and, and food to eat to sustain your body. These things amaze us. We, we look at the, the seasons as they come and they go. Now None of us are really super, super excited about the freezing cold winter. Uh, but we know that spring is coming, right? And new life will be demonstrated with, with that springtime. And then the summer, that we, there's elements of summer that we enjoy. And then the, the fall, you see the, the, the dying off of certain leaves. But you know they're going to come again. This, these things just are amazing to us. These things that God has created. When you see all the things that God has created, does it make you marvel that God remembers you? Verse 4 says, What is man that you are mindful? The word there in the Hebrew is zakar. It means to remember. What is man that you remember? Him. So, all the things that are going on as the creator and sustainer of all life, you remember me. You know, there are lots of different ways to think about this, and some of which are uh, really. Uh, I think it's really encouraging. I I really like what God says through Moses in the book of Exodus. If you'll turn there with me for just a moment. Exodus chapter 2. God remembers us. God cares for us. If you think about what's going on at the beginning of the Exodus, that God's people were in Egypt. They came during the famine. They were sustained in the land of Goshen. As time went on, they grew and grew and grew. The king of Egypt, or the pharaoh of Egypt, died and a new pharaoh came into power. He didn't really remember all the things that Joseph and his family had been as a source of blessing to them, and so they became a threat. And you'll remember the oppression and slavery that the people of Israel ended up under during that time. And as they were being oppressed, they cried out to the Lord. Now that's not atypical. We all have various things that come out, come to us, and where else do we turn? So we turn to the Lord. But what's amazing is how God responds and how this text reflects God's response. Look at verses 23 through 25 of Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 20, uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. Will you read the next three words with me? And God knew. God knew. Like, oh. He hears the cry. He remembers His covenant. He sees their trouble. And He knows. He knows the pain. Did God not, Was God not aware of what was going on there? Of course He was. But to help us to understand... It's for us to relate to our God, God describes it as, as if God remembers something and then realizes something and then feels something. When you see your children struggling with something, your heart goes out to them, doesn't it? It's like, you know... You had learned that lesson at one point or another that they're struggling through. And you're like, you want to give them the information. You give them the information, but that information doesn't make the struggle go away. They sometimes have to journey through that struggle and come out the other side of it. You want to change it. You can't for them. Um, but your your heart can, can be broken for them as they struggle. And that kind of... You, Get that kind of a concept from this text. God hears and sees and understands the difficulty that his children, Israel, are under during this time. And God then comes to the rescue. Because he's aware, because he remembers, because he cares, he comes to the rescue. It it amazes me. Um, I think it amazes you too. If not, I hope it does now. In Psalm 139, when, when the psalmist is talking about God's knowledge of everything and God's presence everywhere, and then it talks about God's power, in the midst of the discussion on power, where he talks about how he was with us in our mother's womb and he was forming us from, from the smallest embryonic stage, putting our structure together. He knows all our days before they were ever written. And then it talks about how God thinks about us so much that it's like the grains of the sand on the sea. God remembers us. He thinks about us that much. He says, when I realized this, how much God thinks about me, I was amazed. I woke up and I realized, and here I am. I'm still still with God. God thinks about me unendingly, which means He knows me intimately. Every single thought you have Every single intention you have, He knows. And He hasn't left you yet. Amen. It's good news. God cares. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we're to take all of our cares and anxieties and cast them on the Lord. Why? What's, the, what's our motivation? What would make me do this? Because I know He cares for. Me. God cares. We don't need to be like Jesus' disciples on the boat. They're going through the sea and the the, the water is breaking in. Like, ah, I think this might be it. Jesus, don't you care? We don't have to say that. We know. We know He cares. Of all the things that God has on His agenda today and tomorrow and the next day, does He care? Does He care about you? Who cares? This is an amazing thing. How do we know He cares? Well, I think think it it comes most clearly seen, God's care for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you think about the passages of forecast of Jesus coming... What was the purpose of all of it? It's because God knows something about our difficulties and He so knows something about our deepest need. And God is, in fact, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He provides emphatically for us but because He cares deeply for us. What is man that you are mindful of him, remember him, care for him, then he goes on and says, and the Son of Man that you, in our text in, in uh, the ESV, says you care for Him. But the, uh, the Hebrew term is pachad and it means to visit. The Son of Man that you visit Him. What is, what is man that you're thoughtful, aware, caring of Him? And what is the Son of Man that you visit Him? That you come to Him? The word... Deserves a little attention, this concept of of visitation. Again, we talk about it like, you know, I went to my parents' house last night, and maybe you're going to go to someone's house today. It's a visit like that. You're going to bring some gifts. It'll be fun. Eat some food. It's a nice visit. Glad they come. You know, family comes from out of state. It's a visit. It's good. Um, In January, I'm going to go make a visit to my sister for a few days. It'll be fun. It's a visit. It's good. But when God visits, he does something that we can't provide in our visitations of others. If you think about this, and, and we don't have time to turn to like, numerous passages, I'm just going to reference them for you if you just think with me for a moment. In Genesis chapter 21, the Bible speaks about God visiting Sarah. And what was the result of that visit with Sarah? She conceived and eventually bore a son Isaac. God visited and provided, provided what she needed. At the end of Genesis in chapter 50, there's a prophetic statement made about God visiting his people and carrying Jacob's bones, excuse me, Joseph's bones out of Egypt. What was the point of that visit? God was going to rescue them from the bondage of Egypt. God was going to visit them and provide for them what they desperately needed. You see, in the book of Ruth, the uh, Naomi and her family, they head off. Remember? Because there was a famine in the land. Her husband and sons died. But she heard that God visited the people of Israel with bread, with food. The famine had ended. God provided something. So she started heading back to the land of promise because God visited. He gave them something. There's something about God's provision that is intrinsically uh, part of His visitation. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah is praying God, give me a son. Give me a son. Give me some, someone to, to continue to enjoy life, some provision for me of a child. And God visited Hannah and she bore. A son. This is what God does. He provides. So as as we think about this, we're talking about what is man that you're thoughtful, mindful, caring of him and the son of man that you visit him. That's what we're talking about. God visiting us in some very specific, tangible, providing kind of a way. So let's take a look at a couple of passages that might help us to really sense and appreciate and be rekindled in our understanding of God's provision in our Savior, take a look at Isaiah chapter seven for a moment. You've probably read this uh, dozens of times this season. Maybe you wrote it in a card. You've undoubtedly received a card that references Isaiah 7:14. Pastor Jeff and I did a podcast, it is yet unpublished on this uh, concept of God with us, from Isaiah 7:14. Look at what it says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name, Can you say it with me, Amen. Emmanuel. God with us. When the angel speaks in Matthew chapter 1 about naming the Son of Mary, Jesus. He says, for He shall save His people from their sins. He also talks about the fact that this concept of Emmanuel, that God is with us. When when the baby Jesus was born, it was God coming to us to visit us and to bring for us a provision for our greatest need. What is our greatest need? Help. Salvation. Rescue from us. Rescue from our sin. Rescue from a just judgment for our sin. God has come in the person of Jesus to provide a rescue for me and for you from your sin. Take a look at the book of Hebrews. This was our scripture reading this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, just for a moment. There's quotations from Psalm 8 in Hebrews chapter 2. Dave read the whole passage, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 9, where it applies Psalm 8 to the Lord Jesus, at least a portion of it. It Because Jesus came in human flesh. God came in human flesh. Verse 9, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus. We see Him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might do what? Taste death for whom? Everyone. What did He come to do? To taste death for everyone. Everyone, it says in verse 10, for it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This conversation here in Hebrews chapter 2 is about the fact that Jesus in His humanity is greater than the angels. He was willing to take on human flesh and to be for a little while made subject or lower than the angels. But He did this so He might taste death for everyone and then bring many others' sons Unto glory. To take us from being at enmity with God to being sons of God in relationship to God. Being rescued and adopted into God's family. God visited us to redeem us, to make us His children, to give us life. We've all experienced what this life has to offer. And there are some good things that this life has to offer, right? Right? can enjoy family, friendships, children, good, healthful employment. Lots of great things that go on in this life. Vacations where we can see different parts of the world. It's wonderful things. There are a lot of good things to life. Exercise. You know, the endorphins kick in and you feel good. Those are all little good tastes in this life. This life has a lot of good things to offer. But it's not final. This life, it comes to an end for everybody. You've all experienced what that feels like. Not the actual end for you. You're here listening. But you've experienced it in the the loss of people that you love. You know this life doesn't last forever. God visited us experiencing death to rescue us from this being the end of the good that we experience. In fact, He rescues us from thinking that this stuff that we experience here is really all that good in comparison to what God has for us. The life that we receive as a result of Jesus visiting us far exceeds anything that we can experience in this life that we're navigating our way through, journeying through. He tasted death that we might experience real life. He tasted death so that I might be made a son and be engaged in an eternal relationship with a God who gives and gives and gives some more. You see, all the things that God has made, what is man that God even thinks, remembers, cares about us. Or the Son of Man that God visits us, providing for us like the greatest gift. God knew our deepest need and He provided for us that measure of our deepest need in sending His Son to deal with our sin. He's provided eternal salvation to everyone who recognizes their sin, And God's solution, the solution is God Himself. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus came to visit us, to provide for us salvation. And this majestic God who created everything and sustains everything and provides for us, cares about us, thinks about us, has come to dwell with us. It's not as if God came to dwell with us and only stayed for those 33 some years. Remember, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And how does He come? In the person of the Spirit. See, God has given you and I not only this knowledge of His presence, a written record, that He came 2,000 years ago and that's it. He dwells with us today. Everything you face. Good things. Normal, mediocre things. And the harshest, most difficult things you face. You do not face them alone. You face them with the God who created and sustains all things, who cares and who redeems. He is with us and He is for us now and forever. We could talk more about this concept of God dwelling with us, but I just wanted to, 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 to leave that there and think about another visitation just for a moment. There's another visitation. While God remains with us in everything we're experiencing, there's another visitation that God is going to make with us or, or to us. And the next time He comes, He's not coming to deal with our sin because He dealt with that the first time. The next time He comes, He's coming to deal with our absolute and full consummation, the the incorporation of all the promises of all the times. When Jesus comes to visit us again, He's going to bring with Him the gifts of an eternal, wondrous kingdom that we will enjoy day in and day out forever and ever without the taint of sin, without the ravages, of our bodies breaking down, without the sorrows that are attendant to this life that we live, there's still this glorious future that we await when Jesus comes and rights all the wrongs. Isn't that good? This is good. We're reminded of that when we think about the first coming of our Savior. It should also remind us of another coming of our Savior. And every... Visitation of our Savior is a visitation of provision. He provides for us life and breath and all things and the greatest gift. He brings himself. He comes, and he communes with us. He's knocking at the door. I've come for a visit. I've come for a visit. Have you come to taste and to see that this visitor is good? That he has for you everything that your soul needs to meet you at your most challenged points and to give you a hope that will never be taken away. I hope as you think through this in the next You know, you've got the rest of today, right? You're going to be doing all the things you do uh, with Christmas. I hope that on, on your mind and on my mind, I'll be recognizing the gifts that we give and celebrate during these days. These are just little tokens. The real substance we've already received in Christ. And we look to that time in the future when He returns and we experience it in absolute, unending fullness. Let's pray together. Father, you're so good. We thank you for the amazing, abundant provision that you've made in sending your Son for us. We pray for each one here, whether in the building, watching, listening, that we would know the provision that you've made in the person of your Son as he lived for us and died for us to bear our sins and to provide for us righteousness and life forever. I pray, Father, for those that might not yet know Him, that You would open their eyes, that they would see that He's an available Savior. Help them to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and to receive from You life forever.